0: You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from student pastor, Josh Barnett. Let's get into uh, the word tonight. Let's get into our series. I wanna welcome you to the last and final part of our Discipleship 101 series. And I'm really excited because I'm gonna be talking about prayer tonight. And I believe that this is, you know, Probably the singular most important part of your Christian walk is your prayer life. Um, I think if you can get this down, that really everything else will fall into line. I want to start tonight with one of my favorite quotes about prayer, and it's from Leonard Ravenhill. He says, "No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few." prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many er- interferers, and few intercessors. Many riders but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Well, Leonard Ravenhill was the man. If you've never listened to him speak, he brought it, buddy. Um, and he spoke on prayer Quite often, so you know, I want to talk about tonight, and I want to start from just a clean slate of of what is prayer. How do you define prayer? And I'm I'm just going to give you simple but broad explanation or broad definition. Prayer simply is communication with God. It's just it's talking with the Lord. Now there are several ways that we do that. There's several different types of prayer. There's prayers of petition. There's intercession. Um, there's, which is, would be prayer for your needs or for somebody else's needs. There is confession of sin as prayer when we confess to the Lord, adoration, giving him praise, giving him thanksgiving, praying in the Spirit. But we also have to understand that praying is not just a monologue, it's a dialogue. God wants to talk back to us. He wants to, he, So sometimes it's good in prayer to just sit and listen. And I, I promise you he's got way better things to say than we do. And so he he actually, he wants to speak to us. And so it's not a dialogue, it's a monologue, um, but it's simply communication with God. Now, the next thing I want to go into is why pray? Why pray? And I want to, if you're taking notes tonight, I want to give you three reasons why we're supposed to pray. Number one is to express our trust and dependence on him. The first reason why we pray is to express our trust and and dependence on him. Now, don't check out here. I know, you know, obviously, you know, we live in the Bible Belt, and so many of us, we have been raised in church. We get it. We know what prayer is. That, when we have those thoughts, that is the spirit of religion coming into our service and trying to get us to check out. The devil's trying to distract us from what's going on. Again, this is the most important thing that has to do with your Christian life, and so don't ever have the thought of, well, I know what prayer is. Let's, let's go into this with humble hearts and understand, like, this is key, this is important. So number one, why do we pray, is to express our trust and dependence on him. And, and prayer is not to tell God what we need, he knows what we need. Matthew 6, 8, Jesus said that, that our Father already knows what we need even before we ask him. But God wants us to pray because prayer expresses our trust in him for our needs. He knows what we what we need but he wants to hear it from us because he wants to know that we trust him. We are to pray in faith, which means we trust and depend on him when we pray, and we got to know that God delights in our prayers and he delights in our dependence on him. He didn't create us to live separately from him. He wants us to be dependent on him. Praying in humble dependence indicates that we are genuinely convinced of his wisdom, his love, his goodness, and His power. All that we think or feel about God actually comes out in the expression of our prayers, and that's why there's so much emphasis in Scripture placed on it. You know, the first words of the Lord's Prayer, and we could all quote the Lord's Prayer, but the first words of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6-9 is, our Father who art in heaven. Nobody had ever talked to God this way before. Nobody had ever called him Father. They didn't think of him that way, but Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Start with our Father, and that right there expresses our trust and our dependence on dad on him providing for us on him being there for us our father Uh, in luke chapter 11 verses 9 through 12 jesus compares praying to a son asking his father for a fish or for an egg that's what he compares our prayer to god is that a, a son asking his dad for a meal and just as children look to their fathers to provide for them so God expects, expects us to look to him in prayer. And I, you know, I think in our culture it's very easy because we don't really have, you know, we don't have a lot of needs. Nobody came in here hungry tonight. And in America, I think many times it's very easy for us not to constantly put our trust and dependence on him. But we've got to know our trust and dependence is on God. It's not, at somebody, it's not in somebody in the White House it 's not in the economy it's not in the stock market it's not in your paycheck it's in him. He is the one that provides our needs and if you go through the lord's prayer, he says, Give us this day our daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, not like a lot left over, but each and that's just a, each day we depend on him to give us what we need, and so don't don't ever take him for granted because your needs, you know, you go down through the list and your needs might be met. We should constantly express dependence on him just like a kid, just like my son's it depend on me to bring home a paycheck every week to provide for them. We got to look at God that way. In uh in several places, I wrote a few references here uh, down but in Matthew 21:22, Mark 11:24, and then in a couple places in James it says that if we pray in faith, we will receive what we ask for. If we pray in faith, we will receive what we ask for. So what so what do you do when you're you're trusting and depending on the Lord and prayers go unanswered? I would say that we've got to look at it on our end, it's not on his end. When prayers go unanswered, it's very dangerous to blame God for that. It's very, it's, it, you get, you get into some weird beliefs about him real fast if you blame him for unanswered prayer. And so we got to look on our end for, like, what are you praying for? What are you praying whats its what is it, is what you're praying God's will? Is what you're praying, or sometimes I think we might pray things that have already been answered or pray you know, we're praying things out of his will that don't need to be answered, but um, perhaps our prayers have already been answered and we don't have the faith to claim them yet. It's never on his end, it's always on our end. I think the biggest, because it says if you pray in faith, you will receive what you asked for. And so many times, the biggest blocker to our prayers is right here. It's right here, it's in, it's in between our ears. It's in between, it's in, it's in our minds many times. Now, James 1, 5 says, or James 1 verses 5 through 8 would talk about if you ask God for wisdom he will give it to you, but be sure that you're asking fully convinced. Be sure that you're asking in faith because if you're not fully convinced he won't give it to you. Because he says if you're not fully convinced you're double minded. So again the the problem is here. And so if we're, if we are double minded then we won't get the answer that's actually already available to us. We've got (laughs) And, and I think the issue comes in is because we base what we believe or what we pray for on our experiences rather than what scripture says we have access to. Matthew Matthew eleven twenty four, In Matthew 11, Jesus is talking about if you've got, the faith, if you've got faith the size of a mother's seed, you can tell that mountain to cast itself in its sea and it'll be done. And then he says, if you pray for anything and believe that you have already received it, it will be yours that's what Jesus said. If you pray for anything and believe that you've already received it, it will be yours. And I love our faith week. And last week, Paul did an amazing sermon on faith. If you missed that, go check out the podcast. It was incredible. But our faith week was so, so good. See, Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won. And so, now it's our job to get, our pla- get ourselves into a place where we have the faith to believe that he's already won. That his name is actually greater than everything. That everything bows its knee. It is named that the devil, the enemy, no longer has authority. We, Jesus has given us authority to go into the world and build his kingdom. So prayer is not wishful thinking. <laughs> prayer is not wishful thinking. It's actually trust in a personal God who wants us to take him at his word. And what we've got to do is not make wishful prayers. We've got to make bold declarations when we pray. We've got to pray God's will. What is God's will? In the Lord's prayer again, Matthew six ten, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's speaking in present tense. He's talking about now. Pray that my will would be done like it's being done in heaven on earth right now. That's the kind of faith that he is giving us access to have. That he wants his will to be done on earth as much as it's being done in heaven now, not when we die and go to heaven. Now. Okay, well, well, how do I learn how to do that? How do I learn how to take his will, how do I take heaven's will into the earth? Abide. John 15 Abide. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. So how do we find what God's will is? It's right here. (laughs) It's right here. And so if you abide in me and my words abide in you, go into his word, get to know him, read this word, not out of religious duty, but because God, I'm trying to figure out your will for my life and for this world. The more, and the more you are in his word, the more you will pray his word, the more you will see his word. So number one, why do we pray? To express our trust and dependence on him. Number two, to bring us into deeper fellowship or relationship with God. He not only wants us to trust him, he also desires that we love him and have a relationship with him. That's why Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, remain in me. We've got to know that he loves and delights in our prayers. He loves our fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says that we are invited into fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. We are invited into relationship with, with him. He longs for relationship. He wanted a relationship with us so much that he sent Jesus to make it easy. That's the gospel. That's it. Like, he sent Jesus so that we could have relationship with him right now, not when we die and go to heaven again, so that we could have relationship, we could have access to his throne room now. Uh, in Revelations 5, eight, it says that our prayers the prayers of the saints are bowls of incense in his throne room. Whoa, that is so cool. Our prayers are bowls of incense right now in his throne room. What does that mean? That means when we talk to him, it is a sweet-smelling aroma to him. He, lo- he loves it. He loves. He enjoys when we pray. He enjoys when we spend time with him. You, you know the reason that he set the Israelites free from Egypt? The reason he set the Israelites free from Egypt, he said, so that they may come out into the wilderness and worship me. So that he set them free so that they could come worship him unhindered. Why did Jesus set us free? So that we could boldly come into the throne room of mercy, the throne room of grace, and worship him. That's the main reason he sent his son, so that we could have a relationship with him so that his very spirit could live on the inside of us <laughs> so that we so that we would no longer have to go to a temple so that we would be the temple that's a pretty close relationship <laughs> number 3 number 2 was to bring us into deeper fellowship with god number 3 why do we pray to advance his kingdom to advance his kingdom God is sovereign. He's in charge. But he actually enacts his sovereignty through the ones that he created. And some people have a hard time with that. But it's all through scripture. Really, apart from creation, you don't see God doing anything apart from a man or an angel. He, he created us to use us. He wants to use us every day. He, he wants us to build his kingdom. And so he's sovereign, he's in charge, but he wants, us to, he wants to use us to tell creation that he's in charge. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are co-laborers with Christ, that we co-labor, we work with him. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are his ambassadors and that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. God's, God's redemption plan for the world is now you and I. If you, if you go through Scripture, if you look at, there was creation, there was the fall, and since the fall, God has been setting everything right. And when Jesus was leaving, he says, go and make disciples. And so Jesus made some disciples, and he left and sent the Holy Spirit, and now he's saying, with the Holy Spirit, you go and bring creation into redemption. And so we are co-laboring, we are enacting his sovereign intention throughout the world. He wants to use the people that he created. He wants to use us to be involved in eternal things, in building his kingdom. In a way, this might mess with you a little bit, but in a way, we actually give God permission to act in this dimension. Through our prayers, we give God permission to act on the earth. Right? Can God do whatever he wants? Can he sin? Can you make a rock so big he can't move it? God, God doesn't force his way in. He's actually looking and waiting for a people who will allow him to come in. If you don't believe me, I got some scriptures here right, right here for you. Second Second Chronicles seven fourteen, real popular one. If my people who are called by not my name will humble themselves and pray. And turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. He doesn't say, I'm going to come down there and heal their land. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will come. See, he's waiting on us to pray, James 4, 2. You have not because you ask not. He's basically telling us... (laughs) That failing to ask in prayer is, der- is depriving us of what he wants to do. He's telling us that failing to ask in prayer is depriving us of what he wants to do. And then Luke 11, 9 through 10, familiar? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It doesn't say you'll be given, you'll find, and the door will be opened. No, we have a responsibility to pray. We have the responsibility to ask. We have the responsibility to seek. We pray and then God responds. We pray and then God responds. We I know it sounds weird, but we give God permission to work in this earth. It's all in scripture. He's waiting for somebody to say, "Here I am, Lord, use me." He's waiting for a people to pray. It's it's actually simple. We pray and he responds. E.M. Bounds said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. And if we would be convinced that our prayers move the hand of God, we might pray more. If we were convinced that prayer moves the hand of God, even changes the way that he will act, how much more will we pray? And what would we pray about? Well, you can change the way God acts. Moses did. And Moses was operating under an inferior covenant. God was, God was angry with his people, and he was getting ready to wipe them out. And Moses prayed, and it says, and the Lord repented. The Lord changed his mind about what he was going to do because Moses prayed. And so maybe instead of saying America's too far gone, maybe people need to get on their knees and start praying for America. If you, if you pray a little, it, it might be an indication that you don't really believe that it accomplishes a whole lot. Perhaps we would be more convinced of our prayers that we pray if we knew how he heard them too. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. Jesus made a way for sinful man to come before a holy God. And I think it's easy for us to look, well, I'm just a, a sinful worm. I can't come before God and ask for anything big. No, actually, you've been given the righteousness of Christ so that you can boldly go where it says angels fear to tread. Wow. That's incredible. (laughs) Jesus spent much of his ministry fixing our perspective of God. And then he gave his life so that we could come boldly into the throne room because of what he did on the cross. When he said, it is finished, there was a veil that was torn. There was a veil that was torn. What was that veil? That veil separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple and only one man could go into the Holy of Holies and that veil was like, it was like three feet thick and he would have to crawl under. They would actually tie a rope around his ankle with bells on it and when he stopped, if he stopped moving around they would have to pull his dead body out because he had sin in his life and God struck him dead. And when Jesus said, it is finished, that veil was torn because guess what? You and, I, you and I now can receive the righteousness of Christ and we become the holy of holies. Wow, that's good news. We can go straight to God with our prayers because 1 Peter 2, 9 says that we are a royal priesthood. We are now a royal priesthood because of what Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 4, he's our great high priest. Just go read Hebrews. It's all about this. It's all about how Jesus made a way so that we now could be we now could priest before the Lord. So, you've got to know when you come into God's presence, you don't come as a stranger. You don't come as a visitor. You don't come as someone unimportant to him. You don't come as an annoyance. You actually come in as a son. You actually come in as a daughter. You actually come in as a priest. And I would say that your primary calling on your life is to priest before the Lord. The primary calling on your life is to priest before the Lord. Your vocation is irrelevant. Your job is irrelevant. Your age is irrelevant. You are called to priest before the Lord. You are called to worship him and to go before him in prayer. You don't have to be a pastor you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have the title. You don't have to have one of the. Fi- you don't have to be part of the fivefold ministry. First Peter two nine, royal priesthood, chosen people, holy generation. He was not talking about pastors. He was talking about if you're a Christian, this is what you are, and so now you get to come priest before him. You now get to go worship before him. We get to worship, pray, intercede, be with him, and get as close as possible to him. We can now enter into the most holy places. And the holy places aren't a temple in Jerusalem. They're anywhere. As a holy priest, as a a carrier of the Holy Spirit, everywhere you go is holy. Everything you do is holy. You have an open heaven above you. You have direct access to the throne room all the time. And so, in your house, holy. At your job, holy ground. In your clock, wherever it is, in your truck driving to work, holy. Throne room, instant access. So, number three, advances kingdom. <laughs> Now, let's talk about how to pray. You know, the disciples only asked Jesus to teach them how to do one thing: how to pray. Luke 11:1, they come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't ask him how, how to perform miracles, how to raise the dead, how to whatever. Those would have all been great questions for me. That would have been awesome. But he's, Lord, teach us how to pray. And, and listen, I think they ask him that because I think they, if you read the Gospels, you constantly see Jesus sneaking away or getting up early in the morning to go to pray. And constantly, when he comes back from those places, crazy things start happening, right? And so it's like, when you go away and come back, like, heaven is breaking out. Like, you go away and come back and like, leprosy is falling off of people, and blind eyes are getting open, like, what is going on? And so they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. I want you to know this, there's no formula to prayer. There's no formula. It doesn't have to be structured. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It just has to be honest and genuine. It can be full of emotion. It can be full of tears. It can be full of laughter. It just has to be genuine. God wants us to be completely vulnerable in his presence. He wants us to speak from our hearts. The Lord's prayer is just an outline. It gives us important things to pray about. But do you think every time Jesus got before the Father, that's all that he talked about? That's all he said over and over again was the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> Not at all. Go to John 17. John 17 is probably the, maybe the most important passage in all of Scripture. Why? Because it's, it's, the, it's the longest prayer that we have of Jesus to the Father. Really the only one, but it's Jesus talking to the Father. It's actually cool because it's Jesus talking to the Father through the Holy Spirit. And you've just got this whole, the whole Trinity right there. And it's so powerful. It's so amazing. It, the Lord's Prayer is just an outline. You, can you pray it genuinely? Absolutely. I have prayed it many times, very genuinely. But, but it can become a religious mantra that we just repeat and chant endlessly. I've seen so many people just stand up, we're going to pray, and they stand up and they say the Lord's Prayer, and it is the most dry, religious thing. Lots of people say words to God, but few people actually pray. And it's so easy, even in our own prayers, to make them religious. And I'll, I'll just encourage you. One thing that I do when I, when I lay my boys down at night, and I, I, I put my hands on their hearts while they're laying in bed, and I go to pray over them, and I try my hardest not to make it just a religious exercise of, here's the same prayer that we pray every single night. I want it to be, I want them to grow up knowing like it doesn't, it's not this religious thing that gets dry. It's not this formula, it's not this mold. We're talking, we're having a conversation with God. Again, it's communication with God. It, like, wouldn't it be weird if you came to somebody, and every time you saw him, you said the exact same things? Right, if I saw Paul at work, like, like, Hey, Paul, how's it going? Like every day, hey, Paul, how's it going, man? Oh, that's awesome. Man, I really like your truck. Man, I... Or just, you know, just something like the same. If I told him that every day, by the third day, Paul would be like, shut up. Right? It's weird for us to say the same things. Are there things that you pray for every day? Sure. Are there things that you intercede for every day? Sure. But be sure that it is genuine and it is honest and it is real and you're not just praying that same thing over and over again and it's just empty. It's just empty. I don't think God is listening to that. It's just empty. He wants somebody who humbles themselves before the Lord and comes in. And how did Jesus start the Lord's prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He started with worship. Start your prayer with worship and see where he wants it to go. Who do we pray to? Our God, obviously, you can look back in this this, uh, series too. Our God, obviously, is a trinity. There's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's one being. He's three distinct persons. But who do we talk to in prayer? Now, the New Testament doesn't really restrict any talk to the Son it doesn't restrict any talk to the Holy, Holy Spirit. It's not wrong to pray to them or to worship them. I think it's actually important to develop a relationship and an understanding of all three persons. But prayers in the New Testament are usually addressed to God the Father. Usually addressed, there are a few prayers and acts that could be seen as directed toward Jesus. And it's okay to actually directly relate towards Jesus. And I think it's important to understand, though, is that most prayers in the New Testament are directed to God the Father, but it's in the name of Jesus that we come to the Father. John 14, verses 13 through 14 says, that Jesus, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do it for you. When Jesus says this, he's not commanding us to put it on the end of every prayer that we say. When you ask in my name, right? Most prayers end in Jesus' name, amen, right? And I think, again, sometimes it can become this religious thing. We need to know what we're saying each time. It's okay to end it every time in Jesus' name, but we've got to know what we're saying. I would say that, that religion is always the enemy to prayer. In Jesus' name is not a, it's, it's not a magical prepositional phrase. It's not abracadabra. Well, he said, ask in, in Jesus' name, right? Like, in Jesus' name, give me a Maserati. It doesn't work that way. Like, that's, <laughs> in, it's not a spell, Praying is not casting a spell. <laughs> it's in Jesus' name, it's coming in his authorization. It's, being, it's actually coming and being hidden in Christ. It's, it's not something that you add on the end of a prayer to get whatever you want. It's coming in his authority. In Acts 4-7, when Peter looked at the lame man and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, he was coming in the authority that Jesus had given him. That's what he was doing. It's important to understand that the authority that also that that authority comes by way of relationship. The authority that we get from Jesus comes by way of communion with him. The devil in the garden was after the authority that Adam had been given. How did he break that authority that Adam had? He went after communion. He went after relationship. Disobey God, and you won't have this relationship anymore. That's what the devil was after when Jesus Jesus came to get that authority back. And that's why he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. He's sending us out in his his name. I'll give you a simple example. I can go to the hardware store here up the road and buy stuff for youth group in the name of Tim Brooks. The lead pastor here. I can go and buy anything I need in the name of Tim Brooks. None of you can. You can't go up there and like, oh, I want to charge this to Tim Brooks. <laughs> no. <I'm>, uh, <laughs> I have that authority because he's given it to me. I can, listen, I can because I developed a relationship and a trust with Tim enough that he hired me to work for him. And so in this prayer life, you develop this relationship and trust in Jesus, and then he gives you his authority to go and do, to enact his will on earth. So don't like don't expect to just go out and just in Jesus' name and make whatever happen. No, do you have relationship with him? Do you have communion with him? Do you, are you double-minded? Are you fully convinced that you have that relationship and that authority with him? So it's not wrong to add in Jesus' name at the beginning or the end of every prayer. We just have to understand what is meant by what we're saying. It's dangerous to make it a part of a formula without ever giving much thought to it. So next time you pray, praying for food or whatever, and you say, in Jesus' name, pause and think about what you're saying. Think about the high price that was paid so that we could say that. It's also okay to directly relate to the Holy Spirit. He's obviously our counselor and our comforter. He's our leader and our guide. It, Romans 8, 16, he's the one who bears witness to our spirits that we are children of God. So his, our spirit and his spirit actually communicate a lot. Uh, Ephesians four thirty says that he's grieved by our sin. It, uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, he's the bestower of the spiritual gifts onto the body of Christ. So I think it's important that we learn how to relate to the Holy Spirit well. He also has a part to play in our prayer life. Romans eight twenty six or 27 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. That's actually what Romans eight twenty eight is all about is that part right there. Many times we quote Romans 8, 28, not knowing that it's actually talking about the Holy Spirit praying through us. So when we don't know what to pray, when we don't know what to say, he prays through us and for us. He, the Holy Spirit knows the perfect will of God for our life, and he intercedes on our behalf. And sometimes there are no words for what we need to pray for. Sometimes you need to groan and sigh. Sometimes you need to let the tears and the groaning that comes out of a deep place out before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for you in that place. Charles Spurgeon said, groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers which cannot be refused. Groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers which cannot be refused. I pray in the Spirit all the time. Very often. Jude 20 tells us to pray all the time in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 tells us to pray in the Spirit often. And when I pray in my prayer language, when I pray in a heavenly language, the Holy Spirit is praying through me to the Father, praying exactly what I need. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. Because when I pray in the Spirit, it encourages me. It quickens my moral body. It gives me power. And, and if, if you don't know what to pray, pray in the Spirit. Because if you don't have a prayer language, ask God for one. He'll give it to you. In your secret place, go in and ask him for a prayer language, and he will give you a prayer language. Because you could be praying for things, and then you pray in the Spirit. Like, simple example, if I ask God for a million dollars, like, oh Lord, I really need money, I really need a million dollars, and then I pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit might be saying, don't give him a million dollars. He does not need it. Like, Lord, please let me win the lottery in the Holy Spirit, and then I pray in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going, don't let him win the lottery, it's going to ruin his life. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit knows the perfect will of God for my life. That's why it's so important. If you have a, if you have a prayer language, you pray in the spirit, do it often, do it all the time. Let's end with this. Three types of prayer that must mark our lives. I got three minutes. Here we go. Three types of prayer that must mark our lives. Number one, personal prayer, personal prayer, secret place. Matthew 6, 6, go into your room, shut the door, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. We aren't supposed to pray to be seen by man, but by God. Jesus constantly was sneaking away to be alone, not in front of people. Your personal prayer life is the most important thing about you. It should be your number one priority, and I really believe it is the key to everything. I really believe it's the key to everything. Number two, corporate prayer. Corporate prayer. Matthew, In Matthew 18, Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there among them. So we are gathered in his name tonight. Guess who's in the room? And Jesus is here. Isn't that so cool? That's awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. Something powerful happens when people who are praying for and believing for the same thing get together and go after the Lord for it. In Genesis there's a people building a tower to heaven called the Tower of Babel. The Lord comes down and the Lord says to his angels, if we allow them to continue to do this, there's nothing that they won't be able to accomplish. And so what does he do? He goes down and he mixes up their languages. In Acts chapter two, where the Holy Spirit is poured out, what does he do? He comes back and gives them all the same language. What did he say in Genesis? If they're all speak the same language, there's nothing they won't be able to accomplish. What does he do in Acts 2? He gives the believers the same language. So there's nothing that we can't accomplish. Corporate prayer is key. It's so key. There is is a grace and strength that comes when you know you're not doing it by yourself. In Acts 2 and 4, it says that the believers gathered daily to pray in each other's homes, to pray with one another. Charles Finney, he was a great leader in the Second Great Awakening in America. He said, nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. It's awesome. Number three. So pers- uh, number one, secret place, personal prayer, number two, corporate prayer. number three, constant prayer, lifestyle prayer. all the time prayer. First Thessalonians 5:17, simple verse, three words. Paul says, "Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? It means pray without ceasing." It means, it means don't ever stop. It means praying all the time. It means living in constant relationship, constant communion, constant talk with him, developing a relationship with him. That when you wake up in the morning, he's the first thing on your mind. And when you lay your head down at night, he's the last thing on your mind. That he's one that you always want to talk to. You, on your lunch break, you're talking to him. When you're driving down the road, you're talking to him. And, and listen, it takes some practice and sometimes it takes some discipline because sometimes I don't want to. But it's so key, it's so key. And honestly, I find the more that I do it and discipline myself and get into that place, the more that I do want to do it. It's when I'm inconsistent that I don't feel like doing it. You can get to a place where you're constantly having having a dialogue with him. Last thought, keep your prayer life fresh. Keep it alive, don't let it get religious, don't let it get stale. Oftentimes, religion isn't doing the wrong thing. It's doing the right thing for too long. Oftentimes, religion is not doing the wrong thing. It's doing the right thing for too long. So when I go into my secret place, when I go into personal, or even when I do corporate prayer meetings with people, my first thought is, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do today? I don't want to come in here and just repeat some empty prayer that i'm thinking of lord what do you want to do in this dialogue with you today in this communication and you know what the holy spirit will urge and convict me to pray a certain way that day to pray a certain way that day my posture my posture constantly changes day to day sometimes i kneel sometimes i stand sometimes i lay down sometimes i pace my office like a caged animal sometimes i sit sometimes i do all of the above and sometimes my place changes. Sometimes it's in my secret place in my office. Sometimes I walk this campus. Sometimes it's on the porch at my house. Sometimes it's in my living room. Sometimes it's in the shower. I mean, right? And, le- and what I do in that prayer time constantly changes. Sometimes I just worship. Sometimes I just worship. I think some people, uh, prayer lists are awesome. I've got one in my journal. But I think sometimes people go in there and they got i got to pray for these things every day or God won't move. I mean, maybe, and just pray till your throat's bleeding. I don't mean you can do that if you want to, but that's not really God's desire for you to come in. Like, right, the the fervent prayer of a righteous person is heard. And so we go in there and we scream and yell until we can't talk anymore. You don't have to do it like that. (laughs) You really really don't. If you want to, more power to you. But you don't have to do it like that. Sometimes I just worship. Sometimes I sing my own song. God wants to put a song in you. Well, I don't sing very well. doesn't matter. He likes your voice. He created it. And listen, when it's just you and him, nobody else can hear you. I like to sing so loud in my shower that my whole house can hear. I don't care. Sometimes I worship with words. Sometimes it's just instrumental music I put on. I lift up praise, thanksgiving, adoration. Sometimes I've got a prayer list. I don't pray what's on it every day, and can we be honest? Not most days. You might be holier than me, but you know, a lot of days I don't. You know, I don't get to that list. And sometimes I I feel really pressured to intercede for a certain person. And sometimes I just sit and listen. Again, it's a dialogue. Be still, and know that I am God. Be still. How hard is it in our culture to be still? How hard is our culture to be still? He's got some things that he wants to download, and he's got better, <laughs> a lot of really good things to say. How long do you pray? When? What time? You know, it varies every day, day, day to day. If you're like, you know, you wake up at six o'clock and you do it like that every morning, do it. Whatever. It's it's awesome. Again, this is there's not legalism. It's not a formula. For me, it varies day to day. Sometimes it's in the morning. Sometimes it's in the evening. Sometimes it's right when I get off work. Sometimes it's on a lunch break. Sometimes again, it's in the shower. I've got three kids. Sometimes it's hard to find a quiet place. The time, to, the time that I pray varies. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. Sometimes it's one hour. Sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's two hours. I grew up in a charismatic church, and it was just like, if we'll tarry for one hour, like God will move. I mean, maybe. <laughs> you don't, what I, what's important about your prayer time that I've learned over the years is that it's quality over quantity. It's quality over quantity. And so if you've got 10 minutes, man, give all t- give all 10 minutes turn your phone off i would say that 10 quality minutes are better than an hour distracted if you can give 10 quality minutes to the lord 10 undistracted minutes is better than an hour of distracted time quality is we listen we could all pray more we could all go after him more but what i would like to say to you is that consistency is more important consistency is more important than than how much than inconsistent distracted times does that make sense Consistent day-to-day is more important than inconsistent, distracted times. Prayer is a posture. It's a disposition. It's a lifestyle. It's a dialogue with our Creator, with our Father. There's no formula to it. Keep it simple. And keep it genuine. I'm going to end with a quote. It's by Wayne Grudem. He said, Genuine prayer is conversation with a person whom we know well and who knows us. Such genuine conversation between persons who know each other never depends on the use of certain formulas or required words, but it's a matter of sincerity in our speech and in our heart, a matter of right attitudes, and a matter of the condition of our spirit. It's good. Y'all stand with me. He's good. All the time. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord... Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us what you want us to do in our prayer lives. Lord, give us a heart. Like, stir up that desire in us to come before you, to go into our secret place, to go after you, God. Give us a holy, you know, discontentment with, with our TVs, with our phones, God. Praying to you is more important than all of that. It's the most important time that we spend in the day, Lord. Make the appointments that we set with you so important, God. Bother us when we don't keep them. Convict our hearts, God, that we would come before you. I I just feel the Holy Spirit tell me right now that God is not mad at you over your inconsistency in your secret place. He's not angry or frustrated, just like a dad who can't wait to see his kids who have been gone on a trip, so he feels about you coming home to him. So he feels about you coming into that secret place. He just, he welcomes you every time with love and grace. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us how to corporately pray, God. Let us make it a priority to, when even when we're hanging out, even when we're going in our connect groups and our interest groups and with our friends and, and with our families day to day, just teach us how to corporately pray with one another, how to lift up each other's needs, how to intercede, how to pray over each other, and encourage one another. And Lord, teach us how to have that lifestyle prayer, that prayer without ceasing, that constant prayer that marks our lives everywhere that we go. Give us the mind of Christ. Fill us with your spirit. Go before us this week, Lord. Lead, guide, direct us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.